0: This is John Stepling. This is Aesthetic Resistance Podcast number 95. Uh, with me from the uh hills of India, somewhere North India, Varun Mathur.
1: Hello, good evening.
0: Uh from Toronto, Corey Morningstar. Hi, Corey. Hi. Uh, in <clears throat> somewhere in an undisclosed location in Sweden, Johan Edebo. Hi, Johan. Hey, guys. And Hiroyuki Hamada uh, in uh, Long Island. Hi, Hiroyuki. Hi, John. Uh, So, I think it's only been nine days, I believe, since the last podcast. So it's a little more, uh, a little shorter time in between. But it felt somehow like there were a lot of events and things to discuss um obviously the the, the the assault on uh gaza is is a massive story uh the media coverage mainstream media coverage of that assault is a major story uh the the government um, all the governments involved, uh, the, the the official releases, press releases, um, <clears throat> are extraordinarily fascinating, and 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 then watching uh, the protests globally, the, the cover- as as best one can get the coverage, uh, because they seem overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly pro-Palestinian. In fact, I actually don't know of any pro-Israeli protests. The pro-Israeli voice has been uh, courtesy of legacy media, mainstream media and um, and social media to some degree, and then of course government statements. Biden took a trip to Israel, which was very strange because he looks more infirm than ever. Uh, to the point where it's painful now to watch him because you, you're worried. You're worried he's not going to make it up the steps to Air Force One. Uh, but, uh, the, and we have a number of links because I, they're, they're, it was very interesting to listen to the Shahid Bolson um, interview or lecture, whatever it was, something in between that uh i mean he's he's a very interesting guy he's a very complicated guy with a very complicated history and and he reminds me of a of a of a non-bigoted more intelligent version of farrakhan in a weird kind of way because he is a little bit he skirts the edges of uh of strangeness i don't want to say eccentricity or crackpotness or anything because he's not he's a brilliant guy he's really a brilliant guy and that lecture which i will put in the links was uh was extraordinary but but so you but we're getting we're getting these strange um these strange mixtures of 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 positions and uh uh, the official refrain, and and I maintain, and I, I'm going all over the place here, but the other thing I want to talk about has been, because this is the most prevalent position on social media, has been the cynical, um, oh, it's all manufactured, it's part of the Great Reset, we don't have to take either side because they, in quotation marks, are playing us. This is a position that actually doesn't even make sense, but it's one that seems to me decidedly to eliminate um, the Arab you know Arab agency Arab um, uh, identity Arab history from the entire discussion and it, the, the, it it clearly has a strange um appeal for people and it it's that part is worth investigating okay Johan
2: yeah maybe maybe we can begin. In that end, because I think it's such a fascinating phenomenon, you wouldn't have seen that ten or fifteen years ago, maybe. So I I almost only see pro-Israeli positions in in my social media, and it seems like the 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 uh, the grassroots, the the more like bottom-up organized uh, protests are, are pro-Palestinian, but but a a larger a large minority. A large minority position seems to 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 have attached to this idea that it, it's all fake somehow, or to to a great extent, this is just a a theater. And and I think that's a very fascinating phenomenon. What well, what do you think about what? Why is that? Is this a reaction to, to having been lied to for four years about everything and in, in between?
0: <laughs> yeah, um, um, <clears throat> yeah, I I don't know uh what why that idea is so appealing except that i it, it it's either one of two things the first thing is that it is the residual tendency born of at least 30 years of indoctrination regarding this story this conflict because you hear people say oh uh, Arabs and Israelis, you know, the Zionists and, and the various Arab organizations, whether it's the PLO or the Hamas or Hezbollah or anyone. They've been fighting for centuries. They're always fighting it goes back and forth, you know. It's, uh, uh, that trope has been hammered on for a long time. And it, and it grants permission to not take sides. Uh but the but the second reason I think is is kind of what you just said. I, I think there's there's like news fatigue or something. And and people feel powerless about this particular story. Uh maybe more than others you could get angry about if whatever you objected to with COVID or you would debate the climate story, and you could have problems with ukraine and nato and russia and discusses but um but this one is is so entrenched in in the western imagination i mean israel has has occupied land illegally for 75 years i don't i don't know what you say to people at a certain point you you say look okay even if you grant the legitimacy of 1947 and i don't think there's any way you can actually grant legitimacy to that but let's say you do uh there is no way to then further justify the continued theft of land the dispossession on for you know the last 30 years in accelerated fashion uh people have been thrown out of their homes farms have been taken uh, bulldozed, villages wiped off the map uh the settler influence has been dramatic acute and and increasingly problematic and crazed um so yeah i don't know i think people just get worn out hiroyuki you
3: i think also um um uh, maybe it's basically um um what we're seeing is the the uh, activism of the people who uh were threatened, um, with the uh, deprivation of the privileges. Um, The ones who have been uh, living relatively uh, uh, without any problems are facing this fear of uh, economic fear and also the the fear against the uh, restructuring that's gonna um, uh, encompass larger scale of um, uh, surveillance, larger scale scale of uh, exploitation larger scale of um uh what they call medical tyranny, and uh, uh digitalization and all those things um um are concerns i mean you know they are concerns and that they are definitely the things that are happening but um um if they see those things as uh, something separate from what has been going on they um uh basic exploitation and the subjugation of the capitalist um hegemony against oppressed people um their focus would be um what's coming and uh status quo might not be so bad so um Mm -hmm. you know so it's it's the nature of um um the uh resistance um the, the who is doing it um i think that's being reflected
0: uh perhaps well i think i think that it goes without saying but probably one has to say it that that there is this this i mean there is a, a dramatic bias in western media coverage we all know this there is a kind of orientalist uh <clears throat> influence to everything the way in which palestinians arabs muslims are described uh, the the way in which israelis are described the way in which americans are described uh, and and the, the the fact that i it just at a certain point i i honestly i get very it just makes me sad and and i get fatigued um israel has has reduced the people of gaza to the status of prisoners in, in this is a common statement right an open-air prison they determine if they have food and water they determine where they can go they determine if they have electricity if they have internet they cut it off on a whim if fishing boats go beyond uh, the you know allotted whatever it is mile and a half offshore they are shot people have died you can look at the numbers of dead Palestinians how did that come to be how is that okay how is that okay that 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 people are subjected to that and then what do you expect is going to happen when you do that to a population of a couple of million people uh on a, a chunk of land the size of of Detroit um and and um smaller than detroit actually and uh it's the most surveilled chunk of land in the world uh there are checkpoints something like several hundred checkpoints i mean it's insane and yet you will read western media say wow the hamas was an unprovoked attack um if if thirty some years of occupation is not provocation, I I mean I'm afraid I don't know what provocation is. Um, Corey?
4: yeah, I I mean on that note, um, you know, only the privilege, as we said, the only the privilege had the luxury of you know basically, um, you know, lecturing people on you know nonviolence, uh, dogma, and. I mean, we, we talked about this earlier. We we touched upon it because I think in an interview with Press TV, John, you went ahead and said something like you didn't really um, you know, you didn't want to actually say that Hamas committed any crimes, right? You were saying if you actually think that or if you don't. I mean, if I if I'm oppressed and confined, if I'm a person living oppressed and confined within Gaza, my people have been are treated like cockroaches and have been for decades, right? And, um, you know, I've seen family members, friends, you know, I've watched this ethnic cleansing throughout my lifetime, Um, I I, I was born into it. I think that I want an entity like Hamas that will fight to end my oppression by any means necessary, right? And. The collective oppression of all Palestinians and it's not just Hamas right I read an article in the Israeli um, media today and it's basically talking about the seven other resistance factions that are working with Hamas and they say this is not a fight um, Israel against Hamas, it is a fight against the Palestinian people. Yeah, you know, and we, we can link to this in the paper. And basically, these Palestinians are going to have to learn um, that they're going to have to accept the dictates of the Israeli state, right, going forward, they're gonna have to learn this. So, you know, and even the whole framing as a war, I I think it should be, I mean, to me, I see this as an uprising. Yeah, of course. Right, Right? after 75, after decades and decades of oppression and terror
0: yeah well i made the comparison this week with the attica prison uprising right which was back in 71 um because it it bears a very strong resemblance nobody liked the prisoners at attica they were almost all black first of all but you know they were criminals and they were violent criminals this was a maximum security joint and um And yet, that uprising, that revolt, uh, they presented the most articulate set of demands ever in the history of American prison uprisings. Um, Remarkable, politically sophisticated, and they won a lot of um, approval from people. People were initially, you know, Howard Zinn has a great paper on it. On his web page, the late Howard Zinn, um, and and it, they they were they were prisoners at a maximum security prison that had nothing to lose. This is people have nothing to lose. You look at the Algerian Revolution. Um, was France going to leave of their own free will? Was France you know if you talked to them nicely uh, and said we really don't want you here, it'd be really cool if you left. They weren't going to leave they had no intention of leaving they fought tooth and nail to the very end to not leave until it just became too costly um, for france to to continue to try to occupy algeria but it was a bloody revolution and and it was a similar the fln was not necessarily a very popular party in algeria um uh, and after the revolution there was a lot of infighting, and the FLN became very um, authoritarian, autocratic, and shut down opposition parties, as I recall. Um, but, but they got France to leave. So this is, this is, the, this is why colonialism is a, is a nightmare, is a horrible thing. I feel like the thing that's missed in all of this, in all of these analyses is is one of the things that was missed early on in discussions about south africa the americans including dick cheney and and, and ronald reagan called nelson mandela a terrorist mandela mm. was not nonviolent. Mm. they called him a terrorist he deserved to be in prison he spent 26 years i think it was on robin island in prison uh, but eventually apartheid crumbled because world opinion turned against the the apartheid regime and and that was that. But it was not it was messy and bloody and 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 i uh, 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 not a friendly uh, luncheon buffet where everybody decided what was going to be the future of of this country. And the same for the former Rhodesia. Right. So. This seems to be what's missing, the violence of colonialism, the violence of occupation. Nobody, no people wants to be occupied. It it eventually, things break open. Johan?
2: No, yeah, I agree. These are, I think, important remarks, uh, because this, this is clearly missing from the analysis, and I guess that this that's another example on, on the failure of the, of the left and the west today. Because the, this we're seeing here today in, in, in Palestine is clearly a, a colonial conflict, and the mass media is, is so obviously a tool for reproducing this neo-colonial power structure, and I think there's no doubt about it, but, but it's missing from, from the discussion. And as an example I saw here in Sweden, I think two or three days ago, Maybe you heard it that Israel bombed a mosque somewhere. I don't know if it was in, in, in Gaza yeah, yeah. or in the West Bank. And you know what the, the headline was? They repeated like almost verbatim everywhere. So, so it said the, the headline said, the IDF bombs a terror bunker beneath a mosque. So, so that, that's the headline to pick apart, I think. So the <laughs> first you remove the mosque from the equation, but the mosque is just incidental, it's, it's just a, a geographical right. reference. And on right. top of beneath this mask is this terror bunker, this horrifying piece of, of Nazi evil. So if you guys have been looking for, for a concept that, that, that lacks any any analytical or theoretical function and, and is purely propaganda, this terror bunker that's it, you know. So how can anyone not see that this is this is refined and distilled propaganda with the obvious purpose of, of trying to whitewash something that's atrocious? I mean it's and and it's the same thing throughout this entire media discourse.
0: Yeah, Corey.
4: Um, I think it's interesting. I mean, when you're on social media and you follow certain people and you read the, you know, the writings or the interviews with certain people that you know you can trust that are on the right side of um, humanity. And then you think in your head, oh, everyone is pro-Palestinian, especially, of course, when you see that the Global South is absolutely pro-Palestinian and, of course, the Middle East and, um, you know, the, um, the Muslim community, what have you. So anyway, I want to get to getting to the point, I went to a protest yesterday and it was very, very big, bigger than I thought. Um, it was a couple thousand people, I believe. And um, anyway, I could count the white faces in the crowd, maybe at the most ten. I would say about five. Ten would be generous. And it was shocking. I've bumped into a couple of people that I know well in the past week, and we were both talking about how horrific everything is. Only, you know, after a couple of minutes, then I realized they're they're <laughs> they're pro-Israel, right? And then all of a sudden, I'm like, what? Wait. You know, support Israel. And so anyway, in mm. Canada, um, it, it's so shocking and, and and embarrassing. You know, it really is embarrassing. I feel like, oh, my, wow, we're so out of touch with the rest of the world. And, you know, in North America, the West, Canada, NGOs in particular, in their fandom, they speak to decolonization um, constantly. It's like a, a main um, platform, right, that they attract people with, and it's a main theme in the nonprofit industrial complex and in academia. And then right now, and on the world stage, we have the biggest decolonization happening in real time. And where is everyone? Where, where are they? They're nowhere, right? Like yesterday, there was no politicians, no union leaders, no none of these, you know, people that um, talk nonstop about this stuff. They were they're nowhere here, um, and it's you know. And then we look at ethnic cleansing in the past, and we say, "Oh my God, how how did that ever happen?" Well, now we see how that happens, right? right. Turning turning a blind eye, <laughs> and and just ignoring this colonial project, right? Which the British were behind, right? Um, yeah, you know, like this was British, and if you look at Winston Churchill. Churchill um, right from League of Nations right up to the United Nations when all this happened. Um, I'm just gonna see I I just shared an article and we can put it as a link on here you have when someone's challenging Churchill and asking um, basically about all the savagery happening on Palestine's back when this is happening right from basically starting and I, I think around 1936. Um, he, he's just basically saying Okay, so he's challenging Churchill right on the downing of Arabs who simply want to remain in their own country right if you know blowing up their houses and everything is the right thing to do. And he says, I do not admit that the dog in the manger has the final right to the manger. This is what Churchill countered, even mm-hmm. though he may he may have lain there for a very long time. He denied that, quote unquote, a great wrong has been done to the Red Indians of America or the Black people of Australia by the replacement with a quote unquote, a higher grade race, right? So, so this, again, you know, just pointing to like this ethnic cleansing, um, which yeah. all started under British rule. Yeah. Um, I don't know why, like you said before, John, like why we're not talking about this as yeah. I thought we were all against this, yeah, colonizing, well, colonizing people
0: you would think, wouldn't you? I think this is this is very important. There's a couple of points here. Uh, the 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 Zionism, which is very interesting because I'm writing a blog post that that touches a great deal on finn vienna it's extraordinary the number of people who were living in vienna um at the end of the 19th century uh, wittgenstein uh freud hitler theodore hersel Mahler, scherdenberg stefan it goes i mean there's 30 people Karl popper extraordinary robert musel later thomas Bernhard later but even just at that era incredible number of people anyway the point being that 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 was that was the birth of zionism <clears throat> which happened at the same time as psychoanalysis very interesting but um the the uh the the embrace of Herzl's ideas which were very nationalistic they weren't religious they weren't anything other than a kind of hyper nationalism appealed to Britain and later to the United States because of political they wanted it was a political choice they wanted a garrison state in the Middle East that was a, essentially a client state they were willing to pay for that and you Churchill was a rabid anti-Semite balfour the you know famous balfour declaration. balfour was a rabid anti-semite so um you, you they it was very cynical and herzl knew this and all the early zionists knew this and there was a lot of tension with the british and so <clears throat> 1947 they go there and the the zionist militias, the Haganah, and then Ergun, who was sort of the terrorist wing of the Haganah, slaughtered Palestinians. They also blew up the British. You can Google the bombing of the King David Hotel. Uh, but this stuff was overlooked because of a political expediency Israel had to... as What did Bolson say? If, if um, Israel didn't exist, the U.S. and U.K. would have to invent it for, for political reasons. So you had this colonial project, Herzl Zionism, that at its core is as racist as it's possible to be. They demand a racially pure state, and yet nobody talks about this. Somehow it's overlooked because the, the, the spin at the beginning, and I remember this as a young child, um de-emphasized neutralized any discussion of colonialism or racism or anything like that and and they completely disappeared arabs palestinians from the narrative the fact that hundreds of thousands were violently displaced driven from their homes and these are facts this is not in dispute you know miko pellet is the is the a great voice for clarity on this he you know he has moral authority he comes from an aristocratic zionist family his father was a high-ranking general and he will tell you um that zionism now has to end it's an anachronism this kind of colonialism and racism has to end the idea of a pure jewish state a pure any racial state is untenable now so but but to your point churchill you know like teddy roosevelt who was also around at this time and and friends with all these people were were extraordinary racists i mean roosevelt had that famous quote about um nine out of ten indians are better off dead than alive and i'm not sure about the tenth one this is you know a former president 12 american presidents owned and worked slaves this was a slave owning society and people just forget it Uh, So the U.S. was always very happy to cooperate with dictatorships around the world, train their death squads and militias and military. And they did the same thing with Israel. And it was just there was a a very effective propaganda machine um, put in place regarding Israel. and, And everybody bought into it. And, you know, they were very very high achieving technologically sophisticated although that mythology took a hit this week so um yeah i i it, it, it's a bit surprising this is not talked about more even um from people who are very critical of of the genocide going on right now because that's what it is and um it's it's really stunning uh and heartbreaking and uh you know, 50% of Gaza is children. 50% of what's being bombed into rubble uh, is made up of children. Okay, um, Corey.
4: Hey, and then while I'm talking, I hope that Varun and Hiroyuki will both interrupt me at some point to say something. Okay, guys. Okay, so this um, brings me to another point. What, what we're all talking about... Um, You know, speaking of shocking things, so a lot of the people, whether you're left or right or centrist, what have you, whatever, the people that were against all the, you know, fascist measures that came with the quote unquote pandemic and, um, you know, the massive threat to simple freedoms that came, passports, checkpoints, having to stand outside of lines, restaurants not being allowed into grocery stores, all these other things that everyone was just horrified about, right, simple and um, simple um, human rights, right, that, that people did not want to lose, right? Um, anyway, it's just interesting that at the same time, people here were fighting against losing these rights. At the same time, they were finishing the completion of a smart fence around the Gaza Strip, Israel. And if you look, this is a smart fence, which includes hundreds of cameras, radar, sensor, right? Spans 40 miles, 140,000 tons of iron and steel, Um, you know, three and a half years to complete, 20 feet high, right? And all these types of biometrics, um, remote control weapon system, they don't, you know, it goes, it's, it's just this massive project. How come no one here wanted to live like that? Right, that's what people were fighting against and terrified of. Right. So why is it okay for these people to live like that?
0: <clears throat> well, um, yeah, I mean, uh, and I okay, <laughs> Varun, go ahead, you talk.
1: Yeah, uh, no, I just I think I mentioned this on the group before. Is that I think if if people have not faced this sort of an onslaught. I mean, if you take an example of um, interpersonal individual relationships, one-to-one, that is basically bordering on psychopathy. Well, not bordering on psychopathy, it is psychopathy and violent psychopathy. And at that moment, if there are friends of the victim of the psychopath, the only um, advice usually would be to get out as soon as possible with any means possible. And if the victim is alone, and there are many examples that are written all over the internet, in psychological literature, is that eventually there is a violent turn in the victim. And if, if nobody has faced this kind of oppression, this kind of violent, murderous oppression, then... The question becomes, why is it so difficult to relate to it? It's not that yeah. there is
2: yeah.
1: a negation of it. It's it's that the human condition in modern industrial civilization has reached a place where there's impossible for people to understand that it will eventually come to this point where, as the saying goes, even the worm will turn. So it it that kind of puts me in a really sad mood in the sense that if, let's take for granted that you even read, a little, like you mentioned before, John, Like even if you read a little bit of history, you'll understand what has been going on there or what's been going on in ethnic conflicts all over the world, in fact, right? Like there is always the oppressor and there is always the oppressed. Yeah. And how do you not, how are you not aware of it? And even if you are a little bit, of, little bit aware of this, especially in the case with Israel and Palestine, then how is it possible that you can ask for any Palestinian to remain passive in the face of such massive onslaught?
0: Yeah, it's so lopsided. It's so one-sided. Hiroyuki?
3: Yeah, I I totally agree. And, uh, um, but if we uh, think about the the basic mentality of the people uh, today, and you know, we're talking about a society which has um, ten cities in uh, every major cities and uh, the yeah. the level of uh, poverty is enormous. and uh, if you go to certain places, the uh, uh, the drug epidemic is totally taking over the communities and um, so um, you know, these things are kind of normalized. And uh, you, you know, if if people can't pay attention to those things, it is pretty hard to worry about people in elsewhere. You know, especially with the help of all the propaganda. You know,
0: right, right. Well, <clears throat> let me just comment on that. Um, in in the nineteen seventies when i got to new york the beginning of the 70s uh the drug epidemic uh w- it was not just heroin it was crack it was it was crack cocaine it was everything and it was an open-air drug market on the lower east side <clears throat> it was very dangerous and but but people went down white people from the upper west side drove down and, buy their narcotics and it was but it was literally an open air market it was like a bazaar a drug bazaar and um and then they Giuliani came in and they did this this kind of reset on Manhattan and they in quotation marks cleaned it up and so on and so forth um uh but this is coming back now Now my point is that that open-air drug this is returning but it's returning at homeless encampments and uh and and on on skid row and and various places that the police won't go and i was reminded of when i lived in venice what they called ghost town in the 80s um off rose avenue sort of south of rose avenue uh police wouldn't go there we knew that Uh, there's no point in calling if you saw somebody stabbed or shot and that happened frequently enough because there were latino gangs warring with black gangs police never showed up they just wouldn't go in there um and actually it it didn't get one of the things that helped clean it up was the nation of islam was (laughs) farrakhan was was subcontracted to come in and and those guys um did clean it up quite a bit, but but there were other reasons um, for that too. But my point is that, yeah, the 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 police no longer enforce drug laws at all in the U.S. In many places, uh, because it's just out of control. They're just overwhelmed, and um, they're not going to risk anything. And this points up to another another kind of mythology which has to do with with u.s police departments they i remember the late mike davis described during the watts uprising and later that that uh the u.s police departments often especially the county sheriff department in the case of los angeles are like sadistic occupying armies and what Mm -hmm one of the cottage industries for israel has been the training of u.s police departments in counterinsurgency uh that cottage industry may take a hit now actually but uh but security 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 it's big business and the privatization of security uh has has grown dramatically so uh there are all these, there are all these things, these moving pieces, um, happening at once. You have the economy tanking. You have a crumbling infrastructure in the U.S. Uh, roads with potholes, bridges collapsing. You have overwhelmed police departments that are made up of returning soldiers from Iraq or wherever who are trained in counterinsurgency and treat the domestic population as if they are insurgents. They are, they kick in doors, they have SWAT teams. It's the militarization of U.S. police departments. A lot of even small cities own Humvees and tanks and, you know, Abrams fighting big, whatever these things are called. It's extraordinary it's extraordinary and hollywood is culpable for a lot of this of course the selling of this of this idea of heroism and duty to um to the the imperialist state yo
2: i think you're yuki alisonda or i
0: just I, I, I,
3: I was going to just add that um uh along with that uh, there is there has been a, a demonization of the victims um uh, every time we have uh, incidents, uh, racial incidents, um, um, I remember um, New York Times saying, uh, uh, talking about Mike Brown, and he's. They said, uh, but no, Mike Brown is no angel, you know. And um, there's always this sense of um, the questioning the intent and the questioning uh, the character of the uh, the victims uh, in. Um, Sort of preventing the uh, uh, the momentum flooding out to go against it, and we we also um, we've seen the same thing uh, over Syria. We we've seen, uh, but Assad mm-hmm. is a evil dictator, no matter how you put it. But that that's really the, you know that's just um, uh, what I excuse to do what they've done and they did they, they did the same thing uh to uh qaddafi you know they, they called qaddafi uh, crazy um dictator and uh, but on the other hand you know he he installed this uh, great um uh, socialist measures to his own people and uh, there's it doesn't really make any sense and uh, every time uh, we hear all those uh demonizing narratives it's the time when they need absolute support for mm-hmm. their, you know, resistance. So I think it's really important uh, that we understand this dynamics and, uh, you know, it, the, the, the resistance is resistance and the Imperial um, occupation and uh, assaults are, you know, there's no excuse you know, no matter who they are, the, the the criminal activities are done, and that should be the main focus um, in any case. Yeah,
0: uh, mm-hmm. Johan and then Corin.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: I I just thought about what you said uh, regarding Hollywood and the framing of state violence, and this also connects closely to to what you were saying here, Yuki, on on how how these narratives are framed and being reproduced. Because what I see now, and what I've seen since at least the Ukraine war, is this detached sort of vicarious participation by by the viewer, by the consumer, in state violence as if it is a sort of spectator sport. In a sense, I think it is a spectator sport. It's produced as as a consumer a consumer product. I don't think that this was the case in in anything akin to this sense maybe 50 years ago, you know, even with the the mass media creating and and reproducing the spectacle of the Vietnam War. And one very good example I see of all this is is this, you know, triumphant and and gleeful defense of propaganda. Again, I I see mostly pro-Israel stuff in, in social and legacy media. And as soon as uh, the reports came here that um, that the Americans claim that Hamas accidentally had hit this hospital, you know, which possibly killed 500 people, as soon as, uh, as, as it was made known that Biden exonerates the IDF here, then all of these people just scrambled to social media to to proclaim that, that all, of, all of you, who, all of us who thought Israel, the good guys, maybe had something to do with this little accident, Maybe since they're continuously bombing a densely populated area the, the size of a, a minor city, that, that everyone who assumed that this this new set of civilian casualties also belonged on Israel's account was a lunatic, and this very strong and and violent positioning it's such a fascinating phenomenon. It's to me it's like we're watching. An important hockey game, and and everyone celebrates the referees' decisions in favor of their own team, and, uh, and yeah, you know, so so it's framed as as a spectator sport in a sense.
0: Well, it's certainly, yeah, it is, absolutely. We could, I mean, I could go into some detail about specific, and maybe I will at some point. Um, and 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 it's it's a white. It's a white supremacist narrative. That's the other thing, is it the decision makers have to always be white people, Western white people. Corey?
4: Yeah, that's true. I mean, I heard someone say, why do those people bring in their shit here? If they want, you know, (laughs) they can go back there. Don't bring your shit here to Canada. So it's basically like, you know, you're saying those people are shit, right? Basically. (laughs) right? Like it's grotesque. Um, I'm jumping around a bit because I wanted, I think it was you maybe that mentioned security crime. So um, where I am in Canada, there's like a new thing now. Grocery stores now have security guards. Even the dollar store has security guards. This is a growing thing, Um, especially now with self-checkouts, right? Replacing people, uh, uh, the cashier's Um, But anyway, they can't do anything. So when people go in, if you want to fill up a cart and leave, you know, they'll come up and try to get you to stop and that, but you can just say, fuck you, walk past them. The police won't come, right? The police will not respond to this stuff anymore. Petty theft. They get like, seriously, I don't know how many thousand calls a day that people are stealing, but I mean, this is the society we're creating. And you even have the Goodwill now, Goodwill Industries, security guards, and it is so gross. I will not go there. They um, So this is all stuff that people donate, 100% donation, right? And they hire security guards. Instead of giving things away to people that need them, they would rather put their money in security and, you know, try and intimidate people, follow them in the store, try to make them feel, you know, like, um, you know, peasants. Or horrible, horrible, more horrible than they already feel, I'm sure, and it's gross. I mean, Goodwill, Goodwill Industries, over seven billion a year in revenue. Right? Again, this is the world we're creating, um, and it's crazy. And then speaking of that, and back to Churchill, he's the one that created, brought in income tax in um, 2013, the same year that he um, made exempt um, Rockefeller. Right, he, he because of him, like as a uh, as a uh, whatever uh, gift, I would say to the Rockefeller family. That's when he, at the same time, made um, tax exemption right for for foundations, and so you have all that. And, and then, in turn, that's what sort of shaped our society since then, right? Mm-hmm. That's what engineers, even what we're talking about, all these things we're talking about, this is all engineered. Um, by the ruling class via corporate pr- profits that are tunneled into foundation money and into our universities, which are considered liberal institutions, and they're not, they're all funded by ultra, you know, yeah. right wing, ultra conservative um, foundations. Anyway, I'm sort of rambling about that.
0: No, but- no, but but, oh. but yeah, no, mm-hmm. it, those, yeah, those are very good points, actually. Faroon, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I think, Corey, you just elucidated and exemplified the point I was trying, I was going to try and make, which was that every time there is a sort of international maneuver of cultural manipulation, which for the establishment seems like it has resistance, suddenly there's going to be a blow up of war somewhere in the world, which normalizes what they were trying to do. And so now all the attention is now somewhere else while all this kind of manufacturing of behavior and cultural manipulation that gets set in place and people forget talking about it entirely. So, I mean, you have that with what happened with the pandemic and the shots and then the increase in death, mortalities and uh, in cancers. And then you have suddenly, when people start talking about all that, suddenly the Ukraine and Russia crisis blows up in the news. So everybody forgets about that. And then when you start talking about inflations and economies kind of drowning and things like that start happening. And then this conversation kind of starts reviving where people are now really seriously. I mean, a lot of people are talking about how people are falling ill because of the jet, right? But all of that gets kind of submerged with a new international crisis as it's being posed by. So, I mean, In the sense why i'm trying to say this is because that's how propaganda actually works it's not it's it's multilateral propaganda it's not just like kind of linear it's a very lateral game that they're always playing it's quite incredible good
0: point yeah that's a that's a whole discussion and i think is a great point because it's not it's it's in a sense it's a these are marketing campaigns they're not they're not just selling the the government is not just selling one idea or one policy there there are multiple messages embedded in these campaigns uh and some of them have to do with your party getting re-elected and uh yeah and <clears throat> um it, it, yeah there's God, there's so many threads here uh that that but okay hiroyuki because i can't choose what i want to talk
3: about hiro um, well it, it it also um obvious that the uh, uh i mean you know if if we get to the bottom of it, it it's all coming from the crisis of uh, capitalism you, you know the, the rich yeah. ones get too much money and the poor ones uh have no money to buy things and um uh, uh, the products pile up and uh, it's a crisis and uh, the the that crisis is always uh, distorted skewed relabeled as uh Russians are coming you know Muslims are coming um, you know stuff like that and uh, it, it's a way uh it, it's a way to uh confuse people and um, um, uh, shift attentions but at the same time it's fundamental way of capitalism to yeah. survive you know it's the cry the real crisis is substituted for these artificial crises and that is the driving force that's the restructuring force and uh you know this is uh, um uh well, yeah we should see that
0: yeah this reminds me actually of what i wanted to talk about that kind of um <clears throat> and and that is because this is all true and war is always profitable uh, this is this this is the classic definition of imperialism in a sense you know war profiteering hmm. and so on and so forth and this is stuff that people should know and should have read about already and know something about Uh, but this goes back to the idea that I mentioned at the very beginning that seems to be very popular on social media and there's several versions of it the kind of stupid um, anti-semitic version is the people who read Anthony Sutton's uh, history of the Bolshevik revolution and I think he's had several different volumes out and everything is controlled by a small cabal of Jewish bankers in a tower somewhere in Liechtenstein, who knows. And they're all named Rothschild. That's, that's the dummy version. That's the Alex Jones version. That's, and there's not much to say about that. It's classic anti-Semitism. It's like straight out of the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, et cetera. The, the smarter version... Um, has to do with uh, the, the the people who have studied the Great Reset World Economic Forum. Many of them have read Corey's blog, in fact, and gleaned a lot of useful information. Um, these are people who understand the Club of Rome that understand the, the the tentacles of are multiple. There's eugenics. There's the World Wildlife Fund. There's European aristocracy, the British royal family—these are the people that are depopulation fanatics. Uh, Jane Goodall and and David Attenborough and all of these avuncular, kindly aristocratic figures, who are actually um, advocating. Jane Goodall has said the world needs to reduce the, its population by ninety percent. <laughs> I, I wonder if she thinks of herself as part of the 90%. These people never include themselves um, in these population reductions uh, because what they mean is the city of Lagos, right? What they mean is all of Nigeria and Burkina Faso and, and Angola. That's what they mean. And maybe we can throw in Bangladesh too. Uh, anybody with dark skin, that's the 90% because it's colonialism again anyway but but this idea this idea that war is profitable and a lot of people have mentioned that uh the israeli government funded hamas at a certain point because they needed hamas as a as a a hedge against fatah or the plo or all of this machiavellian back channel manipulation uh all of which is probably true there are certainly elements of truth in it but but this is always the case all all revolutions all revolts all movements and coups are funded by somebody the money doesn't fall from the sky fidel castro got money from all kinds of weird places that's how revolutions sustain themselves this is not like a big reveal this is not it's not like ooh, stop the presses you know um Hamas took money from who you know I don't know Goldman Sachs I don't know I don't care ultimately either because all all movements all revolutions um are funded by somebody and and that's the nature of things it does not invalidate necessarily in fact it does not invalidate usually uh the ideological importance of that revolution uh, the palestinian resistance to israel is legitimate it's morally legitimate uh it is overdue they have endured 70 years of humiliation and cruelty and oppression and so yeah the, the resistance is overdue i'm not palestinian i don't have to make those calls thankfully you know my children are not at risk of being blown apart on the way to school thankfully uh but the white bourgeoisie in north america and europe is um you know strangely tone deaf about these things and and they just don't see their own orientalism in any of this they don't understand the kind of unconscious aversion to the Arab, the other—I forget who it was that said—I I quoted it in this piece, which I will put in the links because I'm proud of it. My piece on anti-Semitism from a number of years ago, and I said—and I'm talking about it in the blog post system too—that um, that, that, the difference between the political other and the biological other, you know, and. Um, the point at which the Arab became a political other, the Jew was a racial other. Uh, But but those those designations are blurred now and gone back and forth and inverted uh, because even even Russians are are an Asiatic other now, and perhaps they always were. And that's my final topic, if you'll forgive me. One other couple of comments and that is the constant conflation of fascism and communism and we seem to talk about this every week people i know and respect seem to not understand the importance of the distinction are both at certain times in service to i don't know uh global banking perhaps but the idea of communism and socialism was to eliminate class and eliminate the need for any of those economic dependencies of capital. It, it's strange how forgotten so many of these obvious things are. Okay, uh, that's the end of that, that tirade. Varun,
1: uh, Yeah, I just wanted to make a comment on the the money stuff that you were talking about. And I think I mean all money is ultimately blood money in that sense. Like let's take I'll just I'll I'll just make a quick example. Let's say that somebody works at BlackRock or one of the multiple corporations that BlackRock earns that is now forcing single mothers to give up their houses because they can't afford the mortgage anymore, and BlackRock buys them out, right? And somebody is working there. They're just pushing papers and pushing keys on a computer screen, they get their salaries, they go out and they buy their new phone or the new car that is being mined in Africa and assembled in China and so on and so forth. So, I mean, the context of all of this, if the atrocity is visible and immediate, then people tend to have a very different value system than when it's far removed from how it's happening. And so in that sense, like the circular I mean, everything is connected to everything else. I don't think we can forget that, right? Like in the sense that you can't, you nobody lives in isolation. It's impossible to get away from this world in that sense. And the more we understand that, the more embedded that we can become in the problems of the world, then we can start having proper conversations about how to resolve all of this. I think. Um, you
0: know, it's interesting. There's a whole topic to to be. To be broached here about uh the the development with BRICS, the potential de dollarization uh that is maybe going to occur, that Israel was scrambling prior to the Hamas attack. Israel was scrambling to sign these uh agreements to normalize relations with Saudi Arabia, with the UAE, Lebanon. Uh And they all of course got squashed the minute israel started bombing gaza which which does tend to shoot a hole in this theory that it was all a false flag or something Um, israel desperately needed saudi arabia to normalize relations they economically absolutely needed that and now that's gone And Mm -hmm. i don't think that's going to return bin salman is not an idiot and and (laughs) he might be mad but he's not an idiot and and uh uh, he the the wrath of the arab world towards israel is at an all-time high the the anger in the global south in general toward israel is at an all-time high and that means toward the united states and the white west and the eu as well I mean, Ursula von der Leyen, um, who was at one time an elected official, I think she was defense minister of Germany for 10 minutes, uh, is not an elected official now. She is a, a, a civil bureaucrat of some sort in Brussels, and yet she makes these pronouncements all the time. The EU stands with Israel who the fuck does she think she is that she can make like, to speak for all of Europe um it's incredible meanwhile the massive protests in France massive protests in Germany massive protests in the United States um all for Palestine so something is going to have to give at some point in in all of this uh but but I think I think that It's very important there's a pedagogical duty maybe the role of this podcast in some in some way is is to encourage a study of just the basic bullet points of of the history of these of ukraine in world war ii Mm -hmm. of of operation paperclip and the absorption of high-ranking nazi officials that Nazism didn't disappear, it dispersed and was absorbed, hidden, the history of the the rise of Zionism, its origins, why the UK supported all of these things, just the bullet points. I would be happy if people understood that much. Then we could have a then we could have a dialogue. Okay, mm-hmm. Johan, and last thoughts from everybody. Mm-hmm.
2: I just a just, uh, follow-up comment on what you're saying here, because the current situation and, and the sense in which it, it, it sort of uh, removed all prospects for normalization of, of relations in the Middle East, it must be seen in relation to the fact that Israel has, if it wasn't founded for that purpose, it, it has acted as this, this potent destabilis- destabilizing factor in the Middle East with the purpose of furthering neo-colonial purposes, especially in in relation to to the energy resources that that we source that we have in in the Middle East, so we, we, the, you can't understand this this conflict without sort of uh, digging into the the historical role and geopolitical function of the state of Israel.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah. All right, final thoughts from everyone. It's it's a depressing week. I mean, I feel it. I feel just you know, fifty percent Gaza are children. This this breaks my heart. I don't know what to say to that.
3: You yeah, know? but like like you were saying in your uh, press TV uh, segment, uh, there is definite uh, tangible shift in the. Uh, what's going on as we see so many people uh, siding with uh palestine and uh mm. and also there is a larger uh development of bricks and uh uh the imperial hegemony having a hard time keeping things in control no that's a good um, point yep yep you, you know, know it's uh it's it's it, it, it is some um somewhat of uh um, I, I don't know how to put it, but uh, there is some hope, maybe that that you know. That...
0: No, no, I I yeah, no, no. I mean, taking the very long view, uh, right? I think there is, Corey.
4: Um, I want to add that Ursula von der Leyen is also a um serves as a member of the board of trustees the World Economic Forum, so that's where yes. a lot of her position comes from. And I just wanted to add, like, for final thoughts, I guess my final thought um, yesterday and today, just reflecting upon that protest that I went to where there was um, nobody, right? Nobody that goes to, you know, climate rallies, nobody that goes to all these other things, um, all all gone. And it just made me think the reason people here, um, you know, about a month ago everyone donned their orange shirts for no child left behind which is sort of the Canada's um Black Lives Matter um movement for First Nations and you know everybody went out bought all these t-shirts and hoodies made in China and put them on for a day and everyone <laughs> pretends they care so much you know and i just realized they can talk about decolonization and say that they're, you know, really great um, allies of the First Nations people, only because at this moment in time, they haven't, you know, there there is no uprising, there is no, you know, they're not um, forming resistance groups to take back their land, so they're no threat, right? Not right to to the people here. Now, if that was to happen, I think we'd see a very different thing. All of a sudden, they too would be labeled savages and terrorists and everything else. So, I mean, I guess everything's good as long as a population is docile and,
0: um, you know. Well, I have three quick points I wanted to to mention very quickly. One is, I will put in the links, a Palestinian business that uh, makes the Palestinian scarf, the keffiyeh, that you know, you see red and white, black and white. They're wonderful. They they have to dodge the blockade to get their to deliver their scarfs to you, uh, but they promise to get them to you. And uh, I think they're an imminently supportable uh, business, and they're very nice people, and they make beautiful stuff. Uh, so that's number one. And uh number two is there's an awful lot. I mean, I just want to mention two Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson is the new public intellectual. He's rabbit told Israel, give him hell. What kind of ghoul says that? What kind that's what who says that? Who says that? You know, really. Um number three was Matt Tabby or Taibi, I never know how to pronounce his name, uh, had a column, second column, uh, in two weeks that, that um, said the bombing of the hospital in Gaza was actually a failed Hamas rocket. And he knows that because the New York Times said so. And... Uh, uh, they originally had it wrong but then they got it right and they published an apology now they realize yep it was actually a hamas riot and uh, this is somebody who is seen as as a as a dissident journalist as a as a voice of the left um, it's it's a very strange phenomenon we have but we saw it with with ukraine we saw it with covid we see it with climate just we see we see these again it's I just feel it's incumbent that that we take a pedagogical position and try to engage people in a way that um, that corrects this stuff. I mean, I was shocked actually with the tabby. I was just starting to like him because he's funny sometimes, you know and then and then this. I mean, anyway, all right, that's that's my last thought. I know there was something else I wanted to say, but I can't remember what it is. So, uh, unless anyone else, has a comment i want to thank johan barun hiroyuki corey i want to thank jack Littman in los angeles as always uh and uh we i guess we'll be back in a couple of weeks yeah yes okay <laughs> thanks. Right, guys. Thanks. thanks john thank you Yeah. Adios. Mm-hmm.
4: I said, this Mr. Mr. Delhi, don't say that. Yeah, boy, you shouldn't do that. Mr. Daly, don't say that. Move, I say, you shouldn't ever say that.